Hey, Ryan here. Does your company have a commercial or industrial IoT project coming down the pipe? Reach out to Vary and let our world-class specialists in hardware, software, data science, and design bring it to life. You've got to work hard to gain anything. And I'm blessed to be able to work at something hard as opposed to looking at, hey, look, I'm ready to retire in a few years. No, I'm, I'm right in the game and I've got the battle scars to prove it. But boy, I never wanted to be bored as a young professional and I'm definitely not bored now. So if you wake up every day and you, you deal with your successes and your failures, you take a few hits, you get back up and you keep going. Budget overruns, brick devices, data breaches, building connected products is hard. Welcome to Over the Air, sharp, unfiltered conversations with executives about their IoT journeys, the mistakes they made, the lessons they learned, and what they wish they'd known when they started. I'm your host, Ryan Prosser. Welcome back to Over the Air, IoT connected devices and the journey. My name is Ryan Prosser, CEO of Vary, and today we're joined by Eric Simone, founder and CEO at ClearBlade. We're going to be talking about a topic that is very near and dear to my heart, industrial IoT. What technology out there makes sense? What doesn't? What's next and why? Eric, thanks for being on the show. Hey, it's a pleasure, Ryan. Nice to participate here. Yeah, great to have you. So ClearBlade is one of the OGs of the space. A lot of guys, a lot of people know you, especially in industrial. But for those that haven't heard of you before, uh, give us 30 seconds on ClearBlade. I love that you called us OG. That just means... I'm old, but I love it. <laughs> <Been> <laughs> nice around a way while. to say it. So, yeah, it is. ClearBlade is an intelligent asset software company. We put the power of IoT, edge computing, and AI into the hands of business people, enabling them to deliver ROI immediately as opposed to waiting months or years to deploy something. Look, we have the only proven, repeatable IoT operating system on the market today. It's software that's identical. Uh, in the cloud, as it is at the edge, as it is on-premise. And we've spent, gosh, just about a decade building it and perfecting it. And as you may know, software always constantly improves if you're doing it the right way. So one of the things that's unique about ClearBlade, there's an ocean of folks in the services industry and I think a lot of them are living the dream of, uh, or, or have the dream that one day they're going to make the jump to being what we would characterize a product-driven company. So a company that has a software product. You guys successfully made that leap. Founded in 2007, uh, which definitely puts you solidly in OG territory for IoT companies. In 2013, made the leap to a proper product-driven company. Talk about that. That's, I mean, a lot of people have that dream. Very few pull it off. Yeah, it was, it, in fact, uh, our anniversary of that date is next week, nine years ago. And it really was around awareness. Uh, look, I started the company in 2007, really at the behest of my former employer, IBM, on how to modernize enterprise systems, right? How do we go in and take existing software and make it more new? both from the mainframe side and from the, the operational technology side. And we did a lot of those projects. And as we were doing these projects, it just was too hard. It's slow. It's painful. It was profitable, right? And um, as we saw the tea leaves of, of the cloud, right? The cloud was emerging around this time. Mobile devices were, were be becoming smart and proliferating. It was pretty apparent that, that this Internet of Things 
it, there was an opportunity to build software to address not just mobile devices, but all devices. And there was a, a specific event that happened in 2013. Facebook bought a company called Parse that was focused on the mobile space. We were working with that technology as well as others, and, and we, we liked what they were doing. And the day that that happened, I picked up the phone and called my CTO, Aaron Allsbrook, and said, Aaron, uh, who's, who's doing what Parse is doing, but doing it in a bigger way? Who's doing it for large enterprise? Who's doing it for industrial? And who's doing it not just for mobile phones or mobile devices? Who's doing it for everything? And he came back to me and said, well, you know, lots of people. I said, you know, I haven't seen it. Let's, um, let's do the research and let's focus on building that product. And, and that was really the genesis of, of us becoming a product company. So, you know, I know a thing or two about uh, transitioning from the company having a particular focus into a new area. I have not done what you're talking about, service into product driven. I imagine this came with what I would characterize as breakage. You know, you've got a certain type of employee base, uh, great people, but maybe not, you know, exactly the the correct type for where you were headed. Does that ring bells for you? What did that look like for you guys? <laughs> it does more than ring bells. It, it brings back PTSD. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a little bit about me. I'm the type of guy that, that right or for wrong, I think anything is possible. And so I'm an optimist, right? So I'm like, we can just do this. And um, let's just take our 35 plus consultants that are trained on completely different types of uh, technologies and turn them into product developers. And it was my CTO who said, Eric, if we're going to do this. We have to completely retool. And so that was the aha moment for me a, a few months later, which was, oh, no, I've got this company that's built for this. And we have to completely transform ourselves into something different and have the discipline to cut that safety net out from under us, right? We were living off services revenue. And, and so we spent a very long year, year and a half retooling, basically bringing new, new people in to help us build this new platform and edge compute technology and finding homes for 35 of, of to be honest, uh, good friends of mine. I, I stay very close to the employees, so does Aaron. And, and so instead of just laying people off or shutting down, um, I have a lot of friends in the industry, and I, I found I found places for all of these these great consultants to go continue their careers with. So it it was you know when I look back, it was painful, but it was a necessary move, and it was something that gave us the discipline to say we're jumping off this cliff, and we're either going to fly or we're not. But you have to commit fully, and that's one thing that I learned years ago, because I had a services business in the 90s called Compete. And we did, look, we did serviceware. Every, all good consulting companies have their own bag of tricks they build, right? But there's a big difference between having frameworks and serviceware and really valuable components to building a product. And I knew it, at the time we did it that we had to fully commit to building product and fully commit to turning off the old revenue and building up the new revenue on software. So let's like pivot slightly, but stay on the same topic. Talk to me about being early. You know, I know from talking with you previously that you have characterized the Clearblade story as in some ways being early, but knowing that the party was coming or feeling very confident about it. I think 
a lot of smart people feel like IIoT, industrial IoT, is just in the first or second inning. You know, we're really just getting started here. So we're, you know, kind of all early <laughs> to some extent. Somebody's out there in the audience right now listening and they're struggling. They got great tech. They're well-placed. They're just early. What did that look like for you? What's your message to them? So one, I completely agree with you. We are in the first inning of industrial IoT, maybe early second inning, but still very, very early. And at the time when we were doing it, we didn't feel super early. We thought it was coming much quicker. But knowing that there had to be a better way to communicate with all of these things based on a lot of it, you know, based on some history, based on some what you would call perhaps wisdom over a couple decades. You know, I had started my career on mainframe systems and went through the client server change in the early 90s. And that was a relatively short period of time now that I look back, because what happened in the mid 90s was was the Internet and then eventually the cloud. And it completely pulled us back into centralized systems. But the vision here was, look, we have to build software that can run in any cloud. So we want it to be cloud independent. We have to build software here that can run on servers behind firewalls of, of very large companies because you're not going to change, for example, the rail industry to adopt cloud right off the bat. You're not going to change manufacturing. A lot of these companies have air gap systems that they want stuff to run on premise. And, and I think the big piece of this that, that we had vision on was around edge computing, not just building for the cloud, but building the same software in the cloud that we intended to run at the edge because of what we had seen in the past. Look, client server happened because the pendulum constantly swings between centralized and distributed processing. So let's build software that runs in the cloud on the smallest of machines and can replicate horizontally, right? So I can handle millions of, of connected devices, but let's make that same software deployable at a very small edge compute machine a Raspberry Pi or even smaller and have the same capabilities that we have in the cloud. At the time, and, and I think still today, it was a very different approach. We didn't approach Edge as a different technology. We approached it as the same and leveraged the same core uh, single runtime uh, for both. So that was new. And I'll be honest, the conversations I had with the analysts at the time didn't understand why we would use the term Edge or why it was necessary. And, and I remember, uh, I'll give my CTO a plug here. He looked me in the eye and said, look, I believe in this, but if we are wrong, we probably won't be around in the next few years. And I looked at him and said, there's no way we're wrong. And if we are, then so be it. We got to take the shot. So that's being early. And, and it's still pretty early for Edge, but I'm so happy that it's now a term that is used everywhere, probably overused, but it's now now it's part of quote unquote conventional wisdom that the edge is valuable and it's going to be a big part of IoT and industrial I IoT as we move forward over the next decade or two. It's interesting how a lot of these things have become mainstream. We talk about digital twins a lot on the show, digital twins very much having a moment in 2022. But staying on this, I think this interesting topic of like where the market is now, you know, so you guys were early, I think being early is a great place to be once you're not early anymore. You know, nobody likes to be early, but it sure was <laughs> great to have been early once the earliness has has faded. 
Yeah. For those folks out there listening right now that are at a manufacturing company and they're saying to themselves, look, what, what's working and what's just stupid money you know, that's in, invested, uh, maybe the ROI isn't there. I don't want to be early. I want to be with the fat part of the curve where there's proven value, proven technology. Industrial is a big term. So I know that's a gigantic segment. It's not, not even a segment. It's a, a massive uh, portion of the economy. But but let's just keep it generic. Okay, so for folks out there, industrial company, world according to Eric, where's the value right now? And where are some of the areas that you would advise, hey, wait and see for a couple of years on this? Yeah, well, well one, completely different worlds, right? And you're an OT professional, right? You're, you're on the factory floor. You're in the you're in the warehouse, right? You're, you're on the railway. You're not going to want to be early on anything. Those are critical systems, right? These, this is critical infrastructure. So typically, these, these are SCADA systems that are air-gapped that are working. You never want to introduce risk into that world, right? But the world is changing. And so you don't want to sit there and not do anything, right? So the first thing is, is separating the the, the, the wheat from the chaff, the, the, the real from the not real. There's a lot of marketing noise around IoT. I think one of the keys at looking at this is what companies can help you incrementally improve your connectivity in these environments with the least amount of risk and the most amount of flexibility, right? Do not force me to buy uh, different types of equipment or tons of new equipment. I have to leverage what I've already invested in, in those locations. So I have to have software in my case that complements existing SCADA systems, that complements existing enterprise systems, that helps me incrementally bridge the gap to visibility of remote devices. I'll, I'll use railway as an example, because we're very familiar with that space. How can I now monitor a railroad crossing remotely uh, during a hurricane, right? When in the past, I've got equipment and controllers that are gathering data, but it's not streaming that data, or at least much of that data, over my networks. How do I improve that by not requiring a, a truck roll every week or every month to gather that data? Instead, how do I leverage that equipment that's already there and transmit it over my existing networks? And that may be varied. These are the things that companies that we work with are looking for. How do I complement the old guard, right? The people I buy hardware from with newer technology that allows me to interact with existing equipment and existing enterprise systems. And that's a big part of what we do is bridge that gap. What's your view on, for, for that same audience, when you would advise them to look at developing, I mean, see, so you dabbled into this a little bit, but let's just punch through, let's hear the world according to Eric on, Custom versus off the shelf. So, and this, you know, here's Eric with off the shelf industrial IoT solutions. Here's Ryan who runs a, a you know a custom IoT development shop. So, I'm going to hold my breath while you answer. But what's your view on when you should build versus buy? So, you need something that's proven and repeatable consistently. So, that's something that we saw many years ago. And look, and I'll be honest with you, we did a lot of building on our own technology as well. This is why intelligent assets became a thing for us. Realizing that uh, a, railway, a railway crossing isn't that much different than a water heater, and that may sound sacrilege to people in these different industries, but at the end of the day, we're gathering data, we're transmitting data, 
we're triggering alerts. We, we may be applying artificial intelligence at the edge, but we're streaming this all into either a dashboard or into some other system that's been around for a while, right? So we're providing visibility. And that's no different across these different verticals. So the big aha moment for us was, well, instead of spending 12 months, you know, 18 months of putting all these pieces together, what if we had an application that could do it in days, right? That the user, the end user could define what they wanted from the asset. We use the term intelligent assets. I, I try to stay away from digital twins because a digital twin usually means so much more. But in general, we're talking the same thing. How do I get the information that I want from my existing assets in the field so I can operationally improve my visibility and improve my safety and improve my service, improve my product? So having something that a customer can roll out with not, with not, without having to need a custom build job or a system integrator. And I think off the shelf gets a bad rap because of a lot of the history of off-the-shelf software, which was you've got to buy into the limitations of what you buy off the shelf. But if that off-the-shelf software is very flexible and is not super opinionated, meaning we don't lock your data, we don't force you into things that you don't like to do, you can work with your existing software and equipment, and this is a flexible piece of software that allows you to get results in days or weeks, as opposed to waiting for your own IT department who's backlogged with three years of projects. It allows you to get immediate results at the operational level without requiring your operators to know how to code in all these different languages and know the protocol suit. They just want to be able to work with software that's easy for them. So this is a big movement in the industry overall. If you look at what ServiceNow is doing, right? It's all about how do I deploy software for the rest of the world, which is 98% of everybody else who's not a developer, right? Our job is to get the nerds out of the room and we focus on building really good software that, that appeals to non-technical folks. Talk about you guys. I mean, you talked a little bit about your product, but getting, <laughs> I love the term, get the nerds out of the room. So you guys have developed a very slick, no-code approach on this that you know, you mentioned uh, kind of in passing, the audience probably didn't even catch it, you know, major rail operators or uh, a manufacturer of uh, water heaters. You know, you, I think you've got as clients, both of those use cases, large industry leaders in both cases. You talk about you guys' product approach and how that like marries up with your worldview on, on where IoT, industrial IoT is headed. Yeah. So, this came out of the fact that even though we built what we feel is like the best possible software for cloud and edge, it still took a number of months or a year or so to for the customer to get what they want wanted out of it. And so our approach was, look, let's, and at first, look, I'm a computer science guy. I think the term no code is sacrilege, right? Because it means I'm out of a job or not anymore. I used to be a good coder. Now they won't let me touch anything, which is probably good. But but what we learned was this, that there's a big difference between low code and no code. Um, I was an expert in the 90s in low code. This is visual, basic visual age was the IBM product. If you remember those products, they were really cool. You could build really interesting demos with them. I built some very complex enterprise systems for many clients. 
but had to go through unnatural acts to keep those systems maintainable and performing. And that's why you don't see these products around anymore. So what we came up with was, well, there's two camps. You're either a coder, which means you get in there and you do JavaScript, you do Go, you do protocol, you do everything, or you're not, you're an operator. So we've addressed both audiences by providing intelligent assets to that business person, to that operator, so they can track that uh, aircraft maintenance equipment across six different airports, so they can track what's going on at the crossing or what's going on with water in Brazil. But also, we built all the underpinnings for the real hardcore developer, so it doesn't block This is that flexibility word that I mentioned earlier. It doesn't block the IT department or the system integrator from saying, hey, look, this intelligent assets thing is great, but I want to open up the hood and I want to to drop in a Hemi engine. I want to add some more stuff here, right? So you get that flexibility by basically spending nine years of hardcore development to say, we're going to build for the developer and then we're going to add this application for the non-developer. That's proven to be very powerful for our customers because we don't box them in to just our off-the-shelf product. It's very flexible, but also you can get deep and dirty with it. And then the last thing is we also play nice with others. You can't live in this IoT world and not know how to interface with existing software and existing hardware. You have got to be, again, flexible. So we don't create any dead ends for our customers. So the the thing I say all the time, at least for the last few years, is no more IoT science experiments. I believe that there's a large percentage, I'm going to safely say 70 plus percent of IoT projects that either fail or they hit a brick wall and need to be reconfigured as, as you scale. And if IoT is going to go forward in a more rapid way, and I think I would say that IoT has not progressed anywhere near what most of us have thought it should by now. And I think, I don't think that's very controversial at all. I think everyone kind of says that. You have got to make it easier. This is why software products come to light. Look, in the 50s and 60s, before there was a database, what did people do? Well, they built their own linked lists, right? They built their own trees of data, whatever it was. And then all of a sudden, Outcomes may have been IBM, I don't know, the first database. And now it's just standard practice that you you use a database. I think as IoT progresses, you're going to use an IoT core, an IoT operating system that's flexible, and it's going to be just another component that allows us to do our jobs quicker and to get to some of the higher level concerns like inferencing, dynamic inferencing, and AI and machine learning quicker. So one of the things I really respect about ClearBlade is the way that you think about team and culture and employees. And you see that reflected in the fact that you have basically the same team that you had you know, five or 10 years ago in, in terms of key contributors. And uh, I think you've had the same CTO throughout. I imagine that that makes road mapping quite a bit easier. You know, be a real sense of what your team's going to look like and what their capabilities are. What's next for ClearBlade? What are we going to see six, 18 months down the road? You know, so I think we've got a pretty good sense of how you view the market. Talk to us about your product. What are we going to see next? So one, definitely it's all about team. The very best software is built by smaller teams of dedicated folks that vary in diversity and in age. I've got folks 
that were interns with me in 2013 that have been with me in Austin, Texas till today, right? That's unheard of. I've got a former CTO of a high-flying company in the late 90s called Vignette, and he's my VP of engineering and works with my CTO. So in essence, I've got two CTOs that come from different eras, right? So that's the magic isn't the software, the magic's the people and the fact that there is consistency in that group. So what's next is, is they've done a very, very good job architecting what we have to date, but their vision is always a few years out. And we've been very focused on AI lately. And we're very, we were very careful not to call ourselves an AI company. We're starting to weave more of that in. We feel like AI is very domain specific. And we work with data scientists from all different industries because you need to work with people who understand the data that's coming from a water system differently than if you're in a rail system, right? And differently than if you're an industrial product. So we enable that AI experience by feeding that data that we get from intelligent assets into whatever tooling the the data scientist wants to use, right? And what we've done then is unlock that resultant model that that data scientist or group of data scientists come up with and allow that model to be run in Clearblade at the edge. So at the oil rig, at the locomotive, right? At the SCADA system that's measuring water and and pump efficiency. That's the next wave. So going beyond just rules and monitoring assets and controlling assets, but now bridging that gap between AI and data scientists and unlocking what typically is uh, locked into the cloud because these models are big and they're heavy. And we're, we're leveraging lots of open source technologies like Onyx and embedding it into the ClearBlade product to make that more efficient. And we're seeing customers, uh, specifically in oil and gas, starting to use this for a more efficient um, exploration and drilling and so forth. And we're a piece of their technology puzzle on how to figure that out. So ClearBlade will never be an expert in oil and gas or an expert in rail, but we're an expert in really complex software that scales very efficiently. Put that same software into the hands of people who understand their vertical industries, and now you're onto something, right? Our vision for this is it's it's a new Linux for IoT, a new Windows for IoT. I use the term IoT operating system. I don't want the purists to beat me up. We sit on top of Linux or we sit on top of Windows, but we deploy a consistent package, whether it's on top of Linux or Windows, that enables that core IoT functionality to be built around. And so we save time and money and and risk because we've already proven we can handle several hundred thousand plus units communicating two times every minute. It's 250 million messages a day in one customer scenario. I don't know of any other IoT systems that do that as a, a that do that today. And I'll guarantee you, there's not one that does it as efficiently as we do. Yeah. Going back to your, uh, th- I'm going to take us back a few minutes here. I just wanted to call out almost as a translation for the audience out there that does not come from a technical, from tech, maybe a more uh, manufacturer industrial side of things. Your view on team and people is very common amongst second time founders. And I often tell people, first-time founders that don't view people that way don't get to become second-time founders. You know, their first technical, their first effort in tech generally doesn't go their way. 
because you know people don't want to work for a terrible boss or someone who doesn't have you know a view on people i think that's like at least somewhat aligned with where you're coming from and so i always tell people when you're doing vendor selection look at the ceo and you simply just take a look and has this person been through an exit or is this their first effort in tech because if you want to screen out companies that are going to vaporize and go away, you know, at, you've spent two years building the partnership, investing, and then they go away. It's first time founders are often the high risk category. By the time someone's been through it once, they generally know how to build a team, treat people right, you know, and, and build loyalty. Is that something that uh, I see you nodding your head, you would broadly agree with? Totally. They're, at my core, it's all about the people, right? Because you know what? We've all been on the other side of that, right? Where you're the employee and maybe been in situations where you didn't feel like you could be your best or do do the things that you wanted to do. So, you know, at 55, I'm still that 23-year-old kid that was saying, give me more. Let me, you know, please, please let me do what I can do. And so at the core, it's about team. And look, I had a successful exit in 2000. And what I remember from that exit is the team. I just had lunch with one of my co-founders from that company yesterday, and we we talked about the good, the bad, and all the good was all about the people that we worked with and that went on to do amazing things. And the one thing you realize as a, as a founder or CEO specifically is these people don't work for me. I work for them, right? I am the, I am the care holder of their careers. I am the care holder of my my investors' dollars, right? So in a way, you're you're a servant and, and You've got to lead that way and be that way. Now, I'm sure at different sizes, it becomes different, but I like I like this size, right? I, I like being excellent at what we do. And there's some nobleness to also um, doing the hard thing, right? Now, you've got to grind for a number of years. Uh, I used to, you can't see it now. I used to have a poster of Muhammad Ali in my old office that said grind to remind me that you've got to work hard to gain anything. And at 55, I'm blessed to be able to work at something hard as opposed to looking at, hey, look, I'm ready to retire in a few years. No, I'm, I'm right in the game and I've got the battle scars to prove it. But boy, I never wanted to be bored as a young professional and I'm definitely not bored now. So you wake up every day and you, you, you deal with your successes and your failures. You take a few hits, you get back up and you keep going. Yeah, strong agree. We're pretty deep into this thing from a time perspective. So I'm going to push us through a couple of lightning round questions. My favorite question, I always love to ask guests, see, so you're OG of the IoT space. So a lot of pressure here to come up with a great answer. Who's doing great work in IoT, bonus points for industrial IoT that you think more people should be talking about? All right. So I've got, I've got a couple. I'm going to start with the, the industrial OT side of the house. And it's a company called Phoenix Contact. Phoenix Contact makes PLCs and gateways, and we've worked very closely with them over the last couple of years, embedding our technology into theirs and vice versa. And it's been a wonderful partnership because you know what? Uh, one thing we are not experts in is hardware. And when you can bring the best of software and the best of hardware together into a package that's deployable at your operational technology customers, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And they brought us a, a bunch of opportunities where we're We've got plug and play uh, monitoring edge devices that that are supplied by uh, Phoenix Contact. So they've been great. On the other end of the spectrum, I'm going to pick the IT side and I'm going to pick an, an old school company called SaaS. So SaaS is out of Raleigh, North Carolina, right? Data analytics, AI, they've been masters at this for decades. 
we're collaborating on leveraging their expertise and their software in this space and running it inside a ClearBlade, alongside a ClearBlade at the edge to empower uh, all of the great work that they do and, and move it to places where they couldn't in the past. And we've got many joint customers that use that technology. So we can combine, you know, like I said earlier, play nice with others, play nice with these folks that have PLC and gateway hardware and some, some really good firmware and software, play with these folks that have been leaders in, in the analytics space and AI space for decades and bring these two worlds together. That's a, a great place to be. Last question, you know, for folks that appreciated your uh, your take on things today, where's a good place to keep up with Eric Simone? Oh, gosh, uh, LinkedIn. I'll post lots of emojis. Double hands seems to be my favorite. Um, <laughs> uh, Twitter, uh, eSimone at, at eSimone928. Shocker, it's my month, birthday, and birth date. And um, Clearblade, of course, right? We do a blog series at Clearblade. You'll see a lot uh, from me, a lot from our CTO, Aaron Allsbrook. So those are uh, those are the best places to find me. Unless you're watching the Cubs and you're scanning the audience, you may find me at a few Cubs games here in Chicago. All right. You heard it here. Uh, Cubs, Twitter, and LinkedIn. If you want to keep up with Mr. Simone. Eric, thank you so much for being on the show today. Ryan, thanks for having me. It was wonderful. And thank you for listening. Join us next time to meet another IoT executive and discuss stuff that went wrong on the journey to what went right. We'll see you guys on the internet. Over the Air is brought to you by Very. To find out more about us, head over to verypossible.com and make sure to search for Over the Air and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else great podcasts are found. Don't forget to click subscribe to ensure you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Barry, thanks for listening.